everyone, and welcome to the Dick Family Basement on this wonderful uh, Monday morning, I guess. How is everyone doing this evening? I was going to say this morning yet again. Sorry about that. But anyways, yes, how are you doing? Uh, there is no snow yet here in Mooshja, so that is pretty, pretty awesome. So before we start, let us um, pray the St. Thomas Aquinas prayer before study. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. Creator of all things, true source of light and wisdom, lofty origin of all being, graciously let a ray of your brilliance penetrate into the darkness of my understanding and take from me the double darkness in which I've been born, an obscurity of both sin and arrogance, so arrogance, arrogance, no, ignorance, sorry, Give me a sharp sense of understanding, a retentive memory, and the ability to grasp things correctly and fundamentally. Grant me the talent of being exact in my explanations and the ability to express myself with thoroughness and charm. Point out the beginning, direct the progress, and help me in completion through Christ our Lord. Amen. Believe it or not, I say that in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. I pray that prayer quite often, and I still screw it up. So sorry about that, everyone out there. I'd just like to tell you that you can phone in at any time at one 844 This is our um, shared document. I will put this in our chat here. This will be our... Um, so you can click on that. And you'll go to our shared document, which we have all this stuff. It also has the phone number, which I will also paste. I'm not just, like my dad would say, I'm not really too fast on the uptake today. So sorry about that. And there is our one eight four four number. And remember, if you do call in, please turn down the volume or mute your live stream. Without any further ado, we'll get to the agenda. I'm still anxiously to know where I could buy some early times Kentucky whiskey. I don't have any drinks today, okay? I'm going to be totally drinkless. So no rattling of ice or swallowing or anything else like that. So that's that's a new experience even for me. Also, the next thing on the useless chit-chat is to request some songs before the meeting. Right now, we're just having a chance and stuff like this. But if you have any songs, I know Deacon Dave requests a few songs, but not enough for a playlist. So... Let's get some songs up and running and put it in the shared document there as I left that link there. And maybe we can have some uh, a playlist before our meetings. Next uh, useless chit-chat is some input uh, for a topic of a three-night retreat slash mission. I've been asked to do one um, in March, and I'm looking for some input. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, I wish um, some priest or deacon would preach about this or give a mission about this. Please let me know. I am open to any sort of suggestions. I do have some ideas, but you know, maybe what your idea would be is a lot better. Oh, right on, Deacon Dave. Some gin, gin and tonic. You probably you and you make a delicious gin and tonic, actually. So I would like some input there. Please email me. Also, too, if you're around Mooshja area, uh, a good friend of mine, Terry, is in town now from, uh, I think, up north. He's going to be here for the month of February, so hopefully I'll get to play some games. I'll keep you posted on that. Another thing, too, just, just out there, maybe there's some comic book fans out there. Is there any good comic books out there? I'm reading a new series called The Penguin, which is pretty good. So my comic reading is mostly to do English, like... Obviously, all the comics I read is in English. As you know, I even have trouble with the English language. I speak it and read it like it's my third language. Don't worry, it's my only language. But um, I mean from England, you know, Judge Dread sci-fi comics, but I'm always looking for different comics of suggestions. I, wa- I read uh, DMZ a while back, which is really good. Fables is really good, but those are older series and stuff like this. So is there anything new that is good? So anyways, let me know in the chat or let me know, email me and you can find my email at intheredeemer.com or just email me at intheredeemer at gmail.com. Our next meeting will be February 19th. So we're going to have a pause here. We won't be meeting next Monday because next Monday I'll be at the Main Street A&W from around 5.30 until they kick me out, which is around 8.39. 
So if you're in the Mushta area and you would like free coffee, please come on down to uh, the Main Street A&W in Mushta, Saskatchewan. Here is the deal, though, is that you need to have a complaint. So if you have a complaint about anything, you know, give the complaint, you get to drink free coffee. So that's the deal. So that's what's happening next Friday, I mean, next Monday. So we won't be continuing with the study. Last study, last time we met wasn't, I didn't find it actually helpful for myself. It wasn't good for many different reasons. One of the reasons is, is that um, the format of how I was doing it wasn't good because I was trying to go through it in detail and stuff like this. So today, what we're going to do is something a little bit different. It's going to be um, what I felt was important or interesting in the different parts of the document. So we're just going to go through the themes or overarching ideas would be good. Okay, so is there any questions, comments? Oh, oh, turmeric latte for me. Whoa, really, Mark? You, you're having a turmeric lat- latte. Seriously? Wow. Okay. I would never have guessed that. I thought you would be more of uh, I don't know. Wow. That is, that is surprising for me to be very honest. Um, but, uh, I'm an old man too. So I usually love my old man drinks. So without any further ado, let us get into the, um, document. So we are starting with the people of God. And one of the things that I get from this part of the document is that we're saved through the church. And I, in the shared document, I have a ladder of divine ascent. And I really didn't get the icon that I'm most familiar with. I, I didn't really scour the internet too much. But there is a beautiful icon of the ladder of divine ascent where everyone on the ladder is touching each other and they're kind of ugly looking. And then everybody that is trying to pull people from the ladder or are going down to hell and stuff like this are actually detached from each other. So there's nobody like these demons like this or these people that are going to hell are not in communion with anyone. They're totally separate, totally individualized and stuff like this. So I think that one of the main part, the main ideas of this part of the document is that we're saved through the church. And this is obviously a very Catholic idea, is that we need to have the church in order for us to be saved. That's what the, um, I guess, the institute that Christ put forward. This is the structure that Christ put forward in order for us to have salvation. Number 10 is uh, the common priesthood, which I just would, just for our own sort of um, interests like this, this is where it gets from and and I, I said on the number ten the 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 footnote on page twenty seven, it says form a unit in which the church is considered as reflecting itself the triple office of Christ priest prophet and king. This is the church. This the church does by its threefold function of worship, witness, and communal life. So I think that's interesting. I haven't heard that before. That last part where it's. Um, threefold function of worship, uh, witness, and communal life. I haven't heard that before about priest, prophet, and king. That's something to take note of. I think that it's really important for us as we, you know, live out our baptism as you know it is, to to really look at that sort of threefold, um, I guess, commission, so to speak, and that flows into my next um, part of or an idea. There is. The church for all. So there's this very strong missionary attitude within this document that we should be proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is like the practical thing, like what do we do, right? Because I think in the, that part of the uh, the document too is the unity is the church, right? We talk about Christian unity, but tr- Christian unity can only be accomplished through the church, right? People come into union with the church. And so how do we proclaim this? How do we proclaim this unity and stuff like this? And I think sometimes we get mixed up. So um, I think I sh- I, uh, I'm going to try to share a story that I haven't shared before. But I think that sometimes we are um, too focused on um, the intellectual side of our faith. And, and coming from me, it's a little bit rich, right? Like that's the part of the church that I'm really uh, gravitate towards, right? Like this coherent... Um, worldview 
that is rooted in truth and in Christ, right? So one in the same. But I think that a lot of times when people ask us questions and stuff like this about the church or whatever, we right away want to give a detailed intellectual explanation. And I think sometimes that's good. I think that sometimes is needed with people. But I think a lot of times people need um, something different or something that is challenging because I don't think intellectual assent gives us the, um, uh, the idea that we're broken, that we need Christ. Right, like I think if we just talk about intellectual assent when it comes to faith, then it becomes some sort of like a priest friend told me like a Sudoku puzzle, and I think yes, obviously there is a part of that faith, and I think that's really really important. But I think if we just put our all of our eggs in that one basket, I don't think we get that completeness. And so lately in my RCIA program. We obviously learn about the faith. There's lots of people, there's quite a few people that are seeking baptism, so people that have not been baptized uh, up to this point, a gentleman who is 52 years old and have not been baptized and really has no sort of tradition of the church or tradition of Christianity in his whole entire family, and he is very studious. So he is very, like, he does a Bible study in the morning and a catechism study in, in the evening, seven days a week. So when I meet with him, one of the main things that I do is like, how do you integrate all that into the day-to-day life? Like, what is it? Because I think with, with him, the, the, the tension is, is how not to be uh, like a zealot, right? How not to be sort of this overbearing person that that has this conflict with you know his his wife and stuff like that right like that's that's a real issue there and that and i think some of it is good obviously a lot of this first fervor but but we should never you know have this idea that that faith is a weapon or something to be used as a as a tool of manipulation and sometimes you know so how do you live that out i guess this is called a church unity is in the church is the church right like coming into how do we live that out how do we confront our secular friends how do we in in a good way i mean to for them to recognize that they need jesus i think this is a practical um part of ev- evangelization for me personally um and it comes from i know i've mentioned him quite a few times last meeting but it comes to me through father ian boyd so father boyd said that the evangelical tool is that of of the Bible, of, of all the traditions, but he says it's uh, part of that is literature. He says that literature opens up people to the realization they need Christ in, in their brokenness and stuff like this. And I, I think that's true. I think that, but we're losing that. We're losing even, in a sense, this common um, language of literature, this common language of symbolism and everything else. So anyways, there is there's something there, you know, to be said. Now I'll just check the... Um, Oh yeah. So I'm sorry I made fun of you, Mark, but it is a turmeric latte. Like that's, that's really bougie for you. It's, it's quite, uh, um, there. Yeah. We've downplayed the mystical and strange in our faith. I, I agree. Yeah. Even, even liturgically, I think, and that's gets us into tons of, of trouble. So what I'm going to do to tonight is I'm just going to basically talk for 30 minutes, see how long it gets us going through there. And then I'm going to take phone calls and stuff like this. So the next part is the hierarchical structure of the church with special reference to the episcopate. So uh, what, what I get out of that is the bishop has a lot of responsibility and power. There is a lot of responsibility and power that is um, brought to the bishop. And how is that used, right? I think that um, how is that used, and I think it really is clear in the document, not in a sense that it comes out and says it, but I think for the condition for the possibility to be a good bishop is to be in a real way um, in with the people, spanning time. Like, I think, and, and this goes back to the Council of Trent, where the Council of Trent basically prohibited um, absentee bishops. Like, if you were appointed a bishop after the Council of Trent, you had to actually live in that diocese. You had to be with the people um, of your diocese. Um, and I think this document really makes that clear that in order for the bishop actually to lead his sheep, he has to know the sheep. And I think this is a, a huge, 
do I want to say problem? I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer all the time when I meet with you guys, but it is an issue, I think, in the North American church especially, and I'm not very familiar with any other council of uh, bishops. I'm not very familiar even, let's say, to the totality of the Canadian experience, but but I do think in my own experiences like this, we need bishops to be present, to be with the people, and to be here for spanning a lot of time, right? If you know that reference, it's a reference from a from a movie. It's a very beautiful. It's a really awesome movie. And just bear with me. I'll explain it. If you know, if you know this movie, please leave it in the chat or please um, email me, and you'll win a prize. Okay, it's an indie movie, but it's a pretty. It was a pretty popular indie movie in the uh, in the nineteen nineties, late nineteen nineties. So the whole premise of the movie is this guy's getting out of jail, but his family doesn't know he was in jail. And he was in jail because of some illegal bets on the on a Super Bowl. And so he needs to find somebody to um, be with him at this Thanksgiving meal with his family, with, you know, trying to have this backstory of not being part of the family for all these years. And so he actually kidnaps this girl, okay, that well, lady, whatever. And so he's trying to explain to her what she what he wants from her, right? And so he's saying like we're 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 married, we're we're doing stuff together, whatever. And the girl goes, "Oh, you you mean we spent a lot of time together?" And he gets frustrated, he gets mad. He says, "No, no, 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 we didn't spend time together. Like we spanned time, right? That's what we do. We're spanning time. We're just ordinary ways. We're not spending anything. We're spanning it." And his difference was, is that spanning time means you're just there in an ordinary way. And when you spend time, it's the sort of intention of doing something. So anyways, that's a movie. If you know what movie that is, it's a really awesome movie. Next time we meet, I'll tell you what movie it is. But I, that's where I get this idea from, is that, that bishops and I think all clergy needs to be um, ready, willing, and able to be with the people in ordinary ways. And that's difficult because... I think we don't, as people, including myself, we don't like that awkwardness of it. It is very awkward in some ways. When you say to people, well, you can meet me, like, for instance, when I go to A&W, you'd be surprised, maybe you wouldn't be, what kind of people show up. And and it is really spans every sort of, like, possible encounter there. And sometimes it is uncomfortable. Sometimes it is a little bit challenging, but that's the part of being church that's a part of being with the people because in order for me like for me to do that means is that everything i do is just so much more connected with the people that i'm supposed to serve and i think the bishops and everyone down from there and and everyone up from there too is called to that um the next point i said was to be to be in union with so we need to be in union in a sense with the bishop right and that's important and that kind of the the whole theme one of the themes i get from this document is that union or being in in union or this unity of the church of the christian faith comes through the church we can't have unity without this understanding that everyone should come under the church then on number 25 we have infallibility which i think is kind of interesting i think it's very well um thought out in a sense that infallibility comes down uh, from the Pope to the bishops like this in union with the church. And so fallibility, as probably a lot of my listeners would know, is just not a sense of being a dictator or whatever um, happens to come out of a Pope's mouth is, is directly from Christ. It is that of faith and morals. And this opens up sort of a whole other box, which I think I, did I talk a little bit more about this as we go down? I don't want to repeat myself um, a little bit. Anyways, I think we can talk a little bit here in the last kind of 10 minutes too, is it just about how infallibility and how this works within the church. And I think that we can look back on in history and say that there was some popes that did some not so great things. I think we can say that. And but yet we still understand them as this vicar of Christ, right? And I think that's part of being a Catholic. I, I haven't shared this story in a while, and I don't think a lot of you have heard this story. Is that I have a very uh, I have a friend who is exactly both theologically and philosophically pretty much opposite of me. He is a Lutheran minister who 
you know, at the beginning of all the worship, he would, you know, tell everyone his pronouns and stuff like this. Yeah, I know. Did anyone puke there or just have a little bit of vomit in their mouth? It's, it's really weird. He's, I pray for him every day that he comes to the true faith, but he was in the States for a long time in, in uh, Virginia, actually in, um, Washington Lee University, very liberal campus. That's an ox, like I'm repeating myself when we talk about any university, but anyways, it was when Trump got elected. And so he's in the cafeteria, you know, like the, the staff cafeteria and everyone is bad mouthing Trump, right? Everyone is just, just really ripped up about it. Right. And so my friend gets right into it and says, just agrees with him and says all this horrible things about Trump. And he says, there was 50 people in this room and everyone stopped. It was complete silence. And one person said to him, looked at him and says, listen, that's our president. Says, you have no right to say anything about him. And he he almost like pooped his pants. Like, but but I was just saying whatever we said. And he basically, everyone there who's super liberal and everything else, they just said, yeah, we have the right to do that because we're American. And I, I think there's a little bit of that too when it comes to um, the Catholic Church and how we view those things is that we being part of the church, one of the work, I guess, that we have is to call accountability or to be, you know, not only for us to be accountable, but to, in our own special way, like whatever we are stewards of, to call the, 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 the hierarchy to accountability. And I think that's okay. I think that's actually really healthy because it talks, because then that has this um, relationship we have with our church, right? It's, and, and we always thought, you know, like I cringe, you know, everyone think this is our church. It's like this. Part of that is true, right? We do have a voice and not in the really weird way that it's being sort of proc- like uh, proclaimed now, but in a real way of like my grandfather, for instance, I'll tell you another story, is my grandfather, they used to have an open door policy for the priest, so what would happen is if you were at my grandparents' place at around two in the afternoon, you would see the priest come in the door, open up the fridge. You know, no one would be in the kitchen. We would all be in the living room. That was part of the whole deal. He'd go in there. He'd have a plate of food that my grandma would make. She would, he would be in the, in the kitchen eating, eating lunch, you know, and you know, whatever. And then after he ate lunch, he would come into the living room, just kind of say hi. It matters what kind of Sunday it was, but he'd say hi. And he would ask my, my grandfather, his name was uh, Jake, you know, I mean, sorry, Jacob and Jacob and Mary. He said, would you like to, me to hear your confession? Oh, no, no, we're fine, father. But in this exchange, there was once in a while, my grandfather would say, you know what, father, I didn't really like uh, your homily. It just, that this is the part I didn't like. My grandfather was an illiterate man, couldn't read or write. The only thing he could write was his, his signature of his name. But he had this relationship with the church that was very good. And he would just say to the priest, you know, like, I just, and, and a lot of times the priest would engage with my grandfather and tell him why he did said that or whatever. And that was good and healthy, I think. I don't know if we have those sort of um, encounters like that, where the priest is obviously comfortable because of the generosity, this what I would call normal generosity of my grandparents to him. So I think that's, we need to cultivate that somehow again. And I don't know because it needs to have, you know, openness on both, both, both parts here. So I think those are the um, topics there. We'll go right to, um, okay. So nothing really in the chat. Uh, Those are kind of the main points of that part. Now we get to the laity. So the laity, I found this is interesting because I learned something new. Like up to this point, it was kind of a rehashing or recapitulating of a lot of different things. But when they talk about the laity, except, um, so obviously the laities, everyone except sort of the clergy, holy orders, and that of the religious state. So, So the religious state, which we'll get to later on in the document, is a whole different category of that. And, and I think that's, that's interesting. I, I didn't, I always thought like, and I always been told, I can remember distinctly um, uh, that the, you know, nuns and stuff like this were part of the laity. But according to this document, they are not. They are in a category separate, uh, religious or a religious state. Just something I did not know. Did, 
Maybe some of you've known that for time immemorial and probably think of my, think like Lamont, I, what were you thinking? I don't know. I was told that they were uh, part of the laity, which they are not, according to the document. One thing that's interesting, I think that this uh, Vatican II documents, and maybe as we go through the Vatican II documents, we will see a little bit more of that. Um, James was saying to me that there is a little bit more of an anthropology that's, that's kind of um, askewed within some of the documents, which is, which is fair. I'm, I'm open to that, of course. Um, but I didn't see this sort of lay ministry anywhere in this, in this part of laity. I think that's a lot of times when I heard that uh, term, you know, and I haven't heard this in a long time in a sense of a defense of it, because now it's just everybody thinks that this is what the lay people are supposed to do. But in this part of laity, there was no uh, mention of a lay ministry. Now, what's interesting, it, I forget what part of it or what um, paragraph, but it talked about lay people called to a special cooperation with clergy. And I think they mentioned like um, uh, maybe canon law or something like that, like something, but they they did not use the word, at least in our translation that we're using, ministry. So I think that's good and powerful because I think what's happening is that when the dignity of the clergy is diminished, so is the laity. And I think that the laity are called to renew the face of the earth in a special way as they're in the world in a special way, in the world, you know, making you know, life for them like selves and like, like basically uh, the economic and political aspect of the laity allows them to engage the world in a, I guess, a more fuller way in a sense than let's say the clergy. And I think that's really um, stressed in this part of the laity, these apostolates, which are trying to renew. It says that the laity shouldn't shun away from um, being parts of institutions like this that can be renewed. Now, I think here's where we get a little bit of a problem. And I think we, perp- like, it, it's it's kind of tough. Like, which came first, the chicken or the egg, in a, in a sense, is that right now, I think in a lot of secular um, institutions like this, is that that Catholic or even religious viewpoints are no longer even tolerated. You know, like like the sadness is of, of even the liberal party where you have to sign basically a declaration. You think that abortion is a human right, even, even to be even considered a, a member of parliament or whatever to run or anything else like this. Like, I think that's really, really tough. Now, I don't know if it's just because we allowed this to happen. If it were, we were kind of lazy and allowed certain parts of our society or institutions to be basically wholeheartedly like given over to the secular world and stuff like this, or was it just the secular world like telling us we can no longer go there and stuff like this? I think the voice of the people within a society is being diminished. And I think that, that because it is, then it's just kind of um, perverted or radicalized, right? When you are consistently just being othered at every every turn, right? Is that it leads to really bad outcomes. So this, this, this lady's, um, you know, uh, I guess force or the lady's mission in the world is to renew the face of the earth. And this leads us then to the call of the whole church to holiness, which I will leave there unless just to give a few moments of if there's any phone call. So our phone call or phone number is one eight four four. Uh, 340-5001. So I am open to any phone calls. If anyone has some, we have uh, quite a few listeners right now. So if you would like to uh, be part of this podcast like this, um, yeah, just phone. Uh, usually I have a drink or something like this. Um, anyways, uh, usually I have something to drink. So I said, I'll just take a sip, but I won't now. So I don't know. I'm just kind of trying to populate um, dead air right now. So just, uh, yeah, no ministry for the lady, apostolate, maybe a better vocabulary. Yeah, it's it's totally a better vocabulary. And it, and it gives d- dignity to what's happening, right? And uh, and I think that's good. I think that we be, should be encouraging uh, people, which I try to do in my own little way to, instead of just consistently being sort of 
and and of course there has to be stuff in the church no no doubt about it in a parish like this you know there has to be some things that are to be done for sure um but i think there is lots more opportunity outside of the church you know i'm always looking for um, volunteers to help out at the old folks home or to sit and visit with people in the hospital and stuff like this and it is it is hard to find uh people to do that and i think part of it is is that people don't for whatever reason, find that's important or rewarding, which is kind of, um, it, it, it's, it's, it boggles my mind. So is there anyone going to phone in? Yeah, no one wants to. Okay, we can continue on. If you want to phone in, please do so. So the next part is the call of the whole church to holiness. Um, so this is, a, you know, Obviously, we talk about a universal call to holiness through our brokenness, um, and also to what the important part of this chapter is that we're all called to holiness. There is a universal call to holiness, and in a sense that it's not a flattening of people's state of life. It is an understanding that every state of life has a particular um, sort of charism, but that particular charism always has to be united, or the telos of that is to be holy. And here, we, I think, I think we struggle. At least I do. Okay, let's just let let's just you know talk about me personally. I I struggle with this because um, I think holiness is a lot like generosity. Now, what why do I mean by that? Is that everyone wants everyone else to be generous except them, right? That's that's how it is, right? We look at the parish, and you know someone gets up there and says, "Give more money to the parish." But don't ask me to give any more because I want to go swim with the dolphins, right? Or I want to do this, right? Generosity is good for everyone else except for me because, you know, I have other priorities other than giving money or my resources to other people or even the parish. Holiness is the same thing. Holiness is really, really tough. And I think it is extremely tough now. Now, of course, maybe I am just a product of the modern uh, moment, I guess, to think that somehow there is a sort of a, a, almost a, a pretentious sort of singularity of the current life that makes everything super hard that is good. Uh, maybe I'm caught up with that, but I think because, um, uh, like, I just look at my grandparents, okay? God rest their souls. In some ways, there was a whole community um, striving for holiness, and there was a whole community. I, I knew lots of my grandparents' friends who really strove to that holiness. I understood if they were over at my grandparents' house, you know, that after supper they all prayed the rosary, right? Or if if there was a, you know, midnight mass. So we used to have like people from all different walks of life or whatever that would come to my grandparents' house, but everyone knew everyone was kicked out for midnight mass, whether you went to mass or not, but no one stayed in the house. There was this um, striving for this holiness that was very public, right? Public um, processions. Um, there was, so for instance, also too, there's there was these public devotions that my grandparents were very much involved in. My mom, my grandmother was very involved with this Marian group that would meet, I think it was every Wednesday. And my grandfather was involved in the Sacred Heart of Jesus group, which met on, on Fridays and basically was a pr- prayers, like liturgical prayers and stuff like that. And I think that was really healthy in order for all of us, for them and, and for me, because I am a steward of the faith that they gave me, is to be holy. Now, now it's really tough to get anyone to commit to anything outside of, of Mass. And even sometimes Mass is tough. But like I've, as a deacon and before that, trying to cultivate, you know, um, even once a month to come and ha- uh, for a priest to celebrate mass with a group of people, like young families and stuff like this, it's it's hard because even that people don't want that inconvenience. People don't want that to make those priorities in their life, and that's that's tough. And it's tough to cultivate because holiness. Part of holiness is to have a community, to have people that you can rely on to pray with, to to ask questions about, like, how do you tackle this, that, and the other thing? And and part of that community or, or going for holiness is, is uh, I don't know how to word this other than, like, you need people to kick you in the butt, 
right? To, to tell you that maybe spiritually you're lazy or spiritually you need to do things differently, you know? And I think that's so important, but, but now, now when, you know, I give the advice to fast and fast and pray, um, there's just kind of people's eyes get glossed over. People's thinks, oh, that's not, that doesn't really do anything. I get that kind of response. Oh, fast and pray. Like, so basically do nothing. <laughs> no, like that's, that's the exact opposite of doing nothing. And the reason why they think it's doing nothing is like my f- first thing is that holiness is good for everyone else except them. In a sense is that fasting is tough, right? Fridays is tough. And I think I've told this story 150,000 times, but I'll tell it again, is one of the reasons why... I still do, 50 odd years into my life, I still do, I think, have a very strong um, devotion to confession is because when I was 14 years old, my mom said, either every Friday, either you don't eat meat or you go to confession. Well, everyone's seen my physique. Everyone knows what I chose on most Fridays. I I went to, walked from high school to the Redemptress, to St. Joe's. I'd go see the priest there. And, and then, um, scrounged up enough money for a cheeseburger because God rest her soul. My mom was not a good cook and she cooked some really horrible fish. But I think that that pursuit of holiness comes from my mom. My mom said this, this is the thing that you need to do. And are we like, I think we're at kind of the point of least resistance now. And I think there, I think, I think our communities and our churches um, uh, suffer from this. Uh, and, and it's, it's hard. I guess that call to the, um, holiness is, is very tough because the first step in that is to understand that we're broken, which is very much part of this document at this point, And that we are all called to holiness, no matter if we are a father, uh, mother, you know, son, daughter, whatever state of life, priest, deacon, you know, uh, single, we're all called to that sort of, we're all called to holiness. Okay. I am still waiting for any sort of phone calls anyone has. So, but it seems like everybody wants to hear me talk this day. Okay. So it, um, and now it comes to like, I, I think is one of my most interesting parts of the document, because this is something that's very close to my heart is the re- the cultivation of religious vocations. So we're talking about brothers, nuns, and, and monastics and stuff like that. And I, I think this is a very good part of the document because it kind of lays out what's, where, where is this part of the church? Like where the, the religious like this. And so it made it quite clear that it's not part of the hierarchy, but, but it is an integral part of the church. It's an integral part of who we are as Catholics. And although that some some of them are sort of monastics that live outside of society and stuff like this. We should never ever think of them as not part of the community, right? Not part of of society and stuff like this in this in this sense of church. And I think that's um, that's awesome. And and also one thing I did love about this part of the document too is to talk about the psychological um, uh, development of people in these communities. So. Even today, there is a misnomer to think that somehow religious um, orders in a sense of priests, I mean, sorry, like nuns and sisters and brothers and monastics somehow stunt the psychological development of a person or somehow it is a retreat from the world that out of fear or whatever it might be. And here, this is a really good um, part here. I think it's on page uh, 77. Yeah. Um and, and talking about like that, that through this community, through coming together and so like this, even in a sense of a hermit is, is a way to, um, strive for, you know, being a per, like in a sense of, um, fully human, right? It's, it's not a, like an escape or anything else like this. It is something that develops the whole human person it's like this. And, and on page 76, it also talks about the perfection of its individual, uh, members and stuff like that. So, and it also talks about how ordinaries, so bishops and stuff like this, should encourage this vocation. Now, in the shared document, which I all encourage you to um, go and check out, this is something that is um, 
close to my heart because I see in our modern um, church, there is uh, attack might be too strong, but, but there's definitely a suspicion of um, the religious and, and they've, the Vatican has came out with two particular documents, which is part of this um, article that I've, um, that I've linked to. If you're interested in this, please um, go read that and, and pray for um, uh, our religious, pray for our monastics, pray for people that live in community in this way. And, and just, just pray that they get vocations and pray that um, basically that the church allows them to flourish and, and flourish in freedom. Um, I, I, this is not the platform really to um, get too much into it, but I just want to raise people's awareness of this because I think the more people are aware of what's going on, I think it's a good thing. I think that we should bring this to our prayer life, to fast and pray, but also to... Um, encourage our own bishops and our own clergy to be aware of what's going on. Because here's another thing, is because there has been a decrease in um, in those religious vocations, there's also a decrease of awareness of what's going on. And I think that's really sad. It's sad in our Archdiocese of Regina, we have so very few um, religious sisters that are here. Because I think that I know even in my own spiritual life, religious sisters, religious brothers, and monastics have played a very key role in my own um, formation. And they played such a role that it could not have been brought forward in any other way other than through those avenues. So anyways, I won't spend too much more time on that. I am still waiting for my uh, phone call. So, okay, the next part is the... uh, uh, the nature of the pilgrim church. So this sort of idea of the end, right, of nature of the pilgrim church. I have two um, links there to a longer um, a sort of um, articles about this because it is a little bit, as I said before, I want to keep it kind of cash, casual. And this this part of the document is a lot less casual, I would say, a little bit. I wouldn't say it's heady, I don't think there's any part of it is, but it does um, talk about a little bit more in depth if you're interested in this. And and so I just quoted from like number 48, page 78 here, the shared document, the church will attain its full perfection only in the glory of heaven when the human race as well entire world, which is intimately related to man and attains to its end through him will be perfectly reestablished in Christ. So this is the role of the church. The church has this end, which is that of heaven. So the final end is heaven. In number 50, it talks about the voice of the martyrs. Now, everyone has, if if you heard me speak once, you've heard me speak about this, is that we need to really listen to the voice of the martyrs. We are in a time in this modern age where martyrs, uh, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, however you want to look at that, but, but anyways, people are dying for the faith. Uh, and what are they saying? What's, what's happening there? I, I mentioned at the, one of the introduction documents or whatever, talking about how the Pope was um, you know, saddened that not the fullness of the church came to Vatican II because of persecution, because of um, limited freedom and stuff like this. But also even at that time, this mass slaughter and still happening today of Catholics, what, what, what are they what are they saying? What What's in their diaries? There's a great book that was published, I think, last year, talking about the modern, uh, sorry, the modern martyrs in China. And what it did was, is they found a whole slew of um, diaries for these people in, in communities, these Catholic people, that um, died for the faith. And so instead of having somebody interpret, you know, what's going on, whatever, it's actually the voice of these people who've died for the faith. And these diaries are incredibly intimate and incredibly inspiring because they are dying for Christ, the true faith. They are not dying for some sort of reform of the reform of the church. They are dying for the true Christ. And this is important for us to understand that that this is the voice that we need to hear. This is the voice that we need to hear. And sometimes we are caught up in listening to voices of, of people that live comfortable lives or people that you know can say stuff with no real consequence. These people have, you know, they've given their ultimate sacrifice, which 
that of themselves. Then we have the affirmation of purgatory in number 51. I remember as a kid, I think I was maybe grade eight, or and, and someone in school said that Vatican II said there's no more purgatory. And even then, and I'd never read any, and I, may, and I was, you should have seen me in, in school, man. I was even more of a contrarian than I am now. But I called out their baloney. Like I remember distinctly, I don't know if it was, the thing I remember is how I responded to that and not necessarily who said it. I don't know if it was a student or a teacher. I think it might've been a teacher. And I just called out their bluff. And it's something in my own upbringing that purgatory was talked about a lot, especially in my grandparents. We we prayed a lot for our deceased loved ones quite often and understanding this natural, you know, my, my grandparents weren't heavy theologians or whatever, but they understood that our prayers helped along the holy souls in purgatory. And and my grandmother always used to say, if that holy soul of purgatory is actually in heaven, those prayers do not go unanswered. It just means that someone is praying for us in heaven now. But we have to always be praying for people in purgatory. And so I, I, I grew up with that, and I think that's very important, and hopefully I can pass that on to Seraphine, and it's like this. Also, too, we have, and we'll end with the last part, the work of the saints, uh, number 51, page 84. Uh, and as I'm flipping through here, and yeah, so ba- basically we're, we're looking at people that are in heaven and that they can intercede for us. And I think this is a good place to stop because um, as I did some research or whatever, is that the last part of this document is the role of the Virgin Mary, which was sort of an added chapter to this constitution because uh, it was decided not to have a separate document on Mary. And the last part of the document is very good in a sense of t- reaffirming the, um, the truth of Mary. And also this leads into the work of the saints, this intercession. Well, one of the things I want to maybe just leave with as we meet in two weeks, and so hopefully we will, not hopefully, we'll get through this document and then we will um, go through the next document. We'll start next time on the, um, what is it called? The, the Dogmatic Constitution on Divine Revelation, which I'm actually the most familiar with of any Vatican II document is this one. So hopefully we can... Um, go through that, not hopefully, but we will go through, we'll start that next time. One of the things that I'm uh, interested in is that uh, in in the last part, a number, paragraph number like 67, page 94, it says that the liturgical cult of the Blessed Virgin Mary should be generously fostered. So this is an idea of there should be no impediments for the natural um, I guess, liturgical actions of the Church of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, unfortunately, um, I, I don't see that quite often. Now, I do see this in, in um, Filipino culture a lot. And so we've, we have a lot of uh, Our Lady um, celebrations like this, like novenas uh, for Our Lady and whatever. We've got a lot of that now just because of the Filipino populations like this. But one of the things, and and I was thinking to myself, why is that? Why did I have um, such a stronger, I guess, influence of Our Lady in the liturgical action of the church when I was younger? And it's this, is that there is not many, okay, so I'm just talking about my own experience in my own church in the Archdiocese of Regina, okay? There is not many churches that have Saturday Masses, okay? And I remember as a kid, Saturday Mass was very well attended at St. Joe's. I remember that as a child. And guess what? Saint uh, Saturday Mass was always to who? Like, what was it? It was Our Lady. It was a Mass, you know, in, uh, pardon me? In yeah, in honor of Our Lady. And I think that was a really strong fostering of, as it says, liturgical cult uh, of Our Lady. And I think we've we've lessened that now. I think that now um, Saturday is now just in, like, uh, like the anticipatory um, Mass of the Sunday, which is, is for me, saddened in, in such a way as that, that even there was a little bit of confusion 
last Saturday, we all know what last Saturday was, was the feast of, or the memorial of St. Blaise. And in our church at St. Joe's, there is this great devotion of St. Blaise, which is the blessing of the throats. And there was lots of people that wanted the blessing of throats for that Saturday night mass, which if you were very, and Father Bert, our priest, would have been more than happy to celebrate a day mass for that um, memorial. And yes, in his graciousness, Father Bert did bless um, throats at the Saturday night mass, but really properly should have been at the Saturday mass. Anyways, you might think, oh, that's just splitting hairs, but it's not because I think that we need to really, really um, understand the liturgical calendar in such a way to be present to the celebrations that's given to us instead of just manipulating them to our own sorts of um, like whims. And um, yeah, and there should be some sacrifice involved. I think that Saturday Mass is is perfect because um, that. Uh, sorry, I was lost my train of thought. I was reading Deacon Dave's um, uh, like comment where he says that Saturday Marian masses were part of my childhood too. I loved it. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Um, but yeah, it's funny that the secular world has rediscovered the power of fasting. I know so. Now I've now I've lost my original train of thought, but my last train of thought is about this. So I have a gentleman who's coming into the church. He is in his fifties. He has no tradition of the church or anything or of Christianity. Like this is his first taste of Christianity and everything else, and he's just like a blank slate or whatever. And he actually talked to me this last Tuesday about fasting because he, even before he became a Catholic, he always fasted on Fridays. And he asked me if it's okay for him to still do this in the way that he was doing it. And I said, yes, but you need to lift those sufferings up for, like you need to do it with the intention of fasting um, or doing works of penance for that of Christ in the sense of making those things spiritual. And so he's going to do that. Like I'll be meeting with him again this week and we'll see how that turns out. But yeah, he was... He was wondering if he should still continue to fast on Fridays, even though he was doing it before he knew Christ. Of course, of course, that's, that is awesome. So we'll stop there. And so, yeah, maybe next time we meet, we can discuss our own sort of devotion to Mary and how that has transformed our spiritual life and made us grow closer to Jesus Christ and his church. So thank you very much for joining me this day. So we'll just end our meeting unless anyone needs a phone call. And maybe this is a good, I definitely need a drink next time for many different reasons, but for reasons that give me a little bit pause to if anyone's going to phone. Okay, so we'll end today in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in the peace of Christ. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much for joining me here today. Tomorrow, as you all know, is bright and early at 7 a.m. We pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet. So hopefully you can join us then. Until next time, God bless. Have a great day. And maybe it will even snow tomorrow. So have a great day, my little tater tots.